Hey there, Conrad here. Welcome to this episode of the Art of Hospitality podcast. This was a fun one. Didn't do our normal typical intro because this is part of a podcast crossover, as Will Slickers jokes about as we hit record here. And it was pretty fun to have this conversation. So some background. The episode you're about to listen to is a debate, discussion, if you will, between myself, between Adam, between Scott, between Heather Bear, and between Will. So we had, we brought in multiple podcasters. We all got onto a room together, hit record, and you're about to listen to our conversation talking. We start talking about the semantics of what we call the industry, short-term rentals versus vacation rentals, but we get into a lot more than that as the episode unfolds. So definitely give it a listen. Let us know what you think by leaving us a review at the end, and we appreciate you checking out this particular episode. This is uh this is weird. This is like an inception moment right here. <laughs> podcast on a podcast on a podcast, maybe. Very meta. Very meta. Well, uh, this is fun. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to. I know we've all been chatting to build up to this moment. So for all of the listeners of all the podcasts that are listening to this episode right now, this is a fun roundtable discussion. And I'm going to call this for myself, the great debate as Adam's article that sparked this all is the great debate of short-term rentals versus vacation rental managers as the title. What do we call ourselves? Who are we? What's this industry? It's becoming more and more of a thing. So that's my intro for this. I guess I'll leave the mic open for anyone else to jump in or kick off. Adam, it's maybe it makes sense to have you you start it all. Yeah, yeah. Happy to, to maybe run around and, and give quick introductions, but at the same time, maybe build some context around what we're talking about here. So this stemmed from a, a blog article that I had put out a, a few weeks ago and I posted on LinkedIn and there was some conversation around it. To Will's point, the title was The Great Debate, trying to discern between short-term rentals and vacation rental management. One, is there value in trying to define the differences between those two models? Are there differences between those two models? And what's the value of, of trying to create some of those differences? It's been some really interesting discussions. And uh, before we hit record, we were commenting on how the discussions have carried on. So that, I think that was probably three weeks ago since I, I posted that article on LinkedIn. And since that time, we've seen multiple podcasts that have come out talking about a similar vein. What is the difference between short-term rentals? What is the difference between vacation rentals? What are the guests and homeowners' expectations? What are the managers' expectations? So I, I think there's a lot of value in this discussion, and we can get into where some of those value pieces are, and, and not only on the guests and the homeowner side, but for us as managers, what is the business models that we're creating? So definitely looking forward to this discussion and, and getting input from this group. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, Heather, I want you to maybe kick us off. Let's well, have the OG. This is not a new conversation. <laughs> this is nowhere near a new conversation. I remember back, and, and here we are going back into the late 1990s, having this exact same conversation because at that time, Verbo was VRBO, which was Vacation Rental by Owners. And this discussion was going on because Verbo, uh, see, I've, I've actually got to Verbo now, VRBO <laughs> would not allow property managers to list on their site and because they were seen as not being as hospitable as the independent owners were. So here we are 23 years later, 24 years, maybe 25 years later, discussing the exact same thing. So that's where I'm coming from. I have some views on this and I'm sure those are going to come out, but it was interesting to, to see the Verma conference opening with this question. And there was no resolution there. 
It was a really strange opening at Verma, for those of you who were there. <laughs> You're all used to somebody lively and dynamic climbing on the stage and, and firing everybody up. And instead, we were hit with this discussion on, are we short-term rentals or are we property managers? Every, every, who else was there? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, same, same <laughs> feedback. Yeah. 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 I, I, I won't name names, but someone looked over at me and said, if this was a podcast, I would have turned it off already. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Hopefully that won't happen on this. I, I think, Heather, you just said something, though, that I wrote down in my notes leading into this conversation. And I think we could all agree, potentially, I would love to hear if anyone doesn't. But I think we could all agree the term property manager doesn't really address anything. And I think we should scrap that off the table because I know people that are property managers on apartments that I've leased an, a, an apartment from. And they're a property manager, just like how I could be a property manager of a short-term rental or anything else like that. So would love to to see if you guys have maybe a different opinion that property manager can just be scrapped or not. I think the benefit of saying property manager is that it can be descriptive of both of these types of inventory, right? So you could manage a apartment building in New Orleans and say that you're a property manager, even if you allow short-term stays versus long-term stays. You could also say you're a property manager if you're in the Outer Banks or Myrtle Beach or Ocean City or something like that. So it's a nice general catch-all. So that's the I, pro maybe to it in that respect then. I think the con is that, like you said, it's... Um, so and, and back to Heather's point too a little bit, the idea that a single host would be more professional in... 2000 than a property manager. It depends on the host. Nowadays, I would say there's some hosts that do a phenomenal job. Go look at reviews and ratings of a super host of a single property or two properties on Airbnb that takes it really seriously. And they might have better reviews than your average or below average property manager. So that's the trouble I that. I've always bucketed it into three buckets of like single property host, multi-property host, or property manager. And that it's not perfect, but it feels like the most like app description that we've come up with when we're quickly trying to categorize someone for like our own purposes for like lead generation and marketing and things like that. But I don't know if that's optimal. It's just, I don't want to put 15 options in a drop down. You do short term, long term. Are you urban or whatever? So I, I pick three just to make things a little bit simpler. But I don't know if that's actually optimal from my point of view. Oh, we spent 20 years as a cottage rental agency. Property management never came into it. But we did the same job. But I think it was a little bit more descriptive. So that's a good point. And I think, Will, to your point, property management is pretty broad. And the only time I'll really use property management is if I'm talking with someone in the industry who understands, hey, I'm talking about property management. I'll use that as shorthand just to cut through some of the noise. But I, I agree that that's too vague. But Heather, when you talk about cottage management, even that sort of outside, is that niche to the Canadian market that you were in that people refer to it as cottage marketing? Because I think some of this is really a search question, right? With, or are people not going to find you if you didn't use cottage? Yeah, I think for the Canadian market, cottage rental, that's what they're searching for. Yeah. They're not searching so, for well, short-term rental. They're not searching for a property management company. They're searching for a cottage. They're searching for the property that they're looking for. So it could be, you know, in, in Europe, it's villa, villa rentals. Right. I was going to say holiday too, Heather, right? Like the idea in the UK, you would call it a holiday. You wouldn't even call it a vacation, <laughs> even if you were thinking yeah. of similar markets. So there's lots of language nuance as well. Yeah. Holiday let is what mm -hmm. it's known as right. there. Right. So some British listeners like listening and saying, finally, you guys got to that point. Like they were probably banging their, their head against the headphones the whole time, not realizing that we didn't get there. So that's the trouble too, Adam. It's like, even if we're doing quote unquote, the same thing in a beach market in the UK versus doing it in a beach market in Florida, catering to a similar type of audience, even the words we use to describe it wouldn't be the same. 
But I think maybe the way that I've, I think that the way that you brought it up, Radham, was this idea of like urban versus vacation. And th that I think is a more meaningful distinction. Like the reason that you would go to a beautiful cottage in Muskoka is the same reason you might go to Blue Ridge, Georgia. So like the, we use different words, but I think the guest persona is the thing that maybe I would like to go into next maybe is like mm -hmm. who you're marketing to and the, the reason for someone traveling is a more meaningful distinction in my mind. And that's where you can draw some lines around why someone's traveling in the first place. Conrad, and maybe you've got a feel for this from the marketing side. I, I don't. But do you think that guests are actually searching for short-term rental or is that just a term that we use in the industry? Uh, they, they do, but at very low rates, relatively speaking, to terms like vacation rentals, right? So whenever we have an, a client in an urban market, you can find people searching for New York City short-term rental, or you can find someone searching for Miami short-term rental. Those searches are out there. But in some cases, I've seen them be 10x, 20x, 50x less than other searches in certainly in destination markets. So if you look at Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach vacation rentals, there might be 25, 30,000 people a month searching that keyword during a busier search time. <clears throat> and off season might be a lot less. Obviously, it's very seasonal in the search demand side of things. You might see 200 searches for short term rentals in a market like that. And then it can be potentially the, the volume could be flipped the other way in like an urban market or more people search short term rentals than vacation rentals. But the trouble with that, even I've learned, is that going and bidding on those keywords in Google, Google ads and getting traffic from them is that short term rentals, sometimes people are looking for things that aren't really what we offer either. So they're looking for like temporary housing or like corporate rentals, or they're looking for something like that. So even that term, I don't think is that well defined because Google is constantly trying to show if you were to bid on that, that term in Google, people Google would keep showing your website or other websites next to things that are very different from like traditional average, so-called average <laughs> short-term rental property manager in my mind. So that makes it even more, you know, cloudy. But to answer your core question, yes, but it's often we're talking this much search volume, 20,000 versus 200 or 300. So it's, it's almost meaningless in terms of actual intent in many markets. I want to bring in what Zach Boozy Cruz was talking about to give him one a little bit of a, a shout out for not being here next time. Zach, you better not decline and have another meeting pop up or else we'll hunt you down. But uh, if he's listening, I, I doubt it. But figured I would love to know maybe Conrad on the search side. I have had a lot of owners like, again, we're a property management company or maybe I'd take that word. We're a vacation rental management company and we're not big. We're pretty small. But a lot of our owners either that are interested in signing with us or have come to us and signed an actual contract have actually said that they found us either searching Airbnb management or other things mm -hmm. like that. And so from the consumer standpoint, Heather, I know this has obviously changed as you've been in and you've seen it from cottage rentals to property management. And what are we this conversation has been happening for 23, 24 years. But now that the consumer side is getting so heavily Airbnb that is it even fair to say that we need to define a term for the industry for the consumer? Because I doubt, in my opinion, I don't think we can ever change the consumer side. I don't think I can tell all my travelers and all my guests and all your travelers and guests, hey, we're not an Airbnb. We are a short-term rental or vacation rental. I think we need to define the, the name for our industry. And I've always gone the STR is urban. VRM is destination. I'd look at Moving Mountains, as an example, they're definitely not a short-term rental manager. They are a vacation rental hospitality brand versus where like you have like Front Desk, who I love, Jesse DePinto and the whole team there, but they're definitely an urban side, but they still offer hospitality. They're just in an urban market with a multifamily building. So that's where I struggle with. Like, I don't want to change my consumer or my guest. I want to figure out like, why does this have to be fully defined as VRM or STR and have like versus? against it because i think you guys may have tuned into the panel that we had with amy high note steve milo mike shogren eric muller matt landau myself but it 
definitely seemed like the industry was at each other's throats in that conversation rather than actually saying like, we're all doing the same thing. We use the same tools, uh, a lot of the same tools, if not similar tools that maybe not, maybe one person's on guesty and one person's on host away or whatever, but same product, right? Like it's a PMS. And I'm, I guess maybe is a conversation more defining this for each other rather than the guest. That's the way I see it. This is an argument we're in for our purposes and not for the guest purposes, because it it all boils down, doesn't it? Regardless of what market you're in, if you're in an urban market or a destination market, how we perceive, how we meet and how we exceed our guest expectations. It doesn't matter what market you're in. We all should have the same goal in mind. And does calling ourselves something different make that a different experience for the guests? And it seems like we're spending such a lot of time talking about names and and not getting down to the really core stuff that if we can actually embrace, if we can create the experience for the guests that they expect and then exceed it, then we're embracing hospitality. And that's what the business is about. Yes, so I agree. And, and I think this has been right. And you can feel there's tension sometimes and there's other times, right? It's just like, oh God, here we go. We're having this conversation again. But, but I think the tension comes at the highest level. And that is most of us will blame all of the regulation on the single property host, right? Hey, they're just loading stuff on Airbnb and they're the ones creating all the problems. And I look at it, right? And so you've got the host and then you've got the Casa, right? And my view is more where they're both trying to commoditize the business. And I think in a, in a passionate heart for the industry, I think that's where the rub comes from, from my perspective, right? What we're building with Del Mar beach vacations is the complete opposite of commodity, right? I'm looking for a very specific set of owners, very specific brand, and we're going to build it. So people know who we are and they're going to come to us. I despise the Vacasa model because right, they're just churning and burn and it doesn't matter. They don't care if they're answering the owners. They don't care if they're really handling the guests. There's plenty of both and move on. So I, that's where I feel like the dynamic of tension exists is we just want to look and say, if you're just in the churn and burn, then just go over there and churn and burn. If you're in it for, hey, I want to grow a brand, I want to grow a business, then go over here. And I think there's a line in between where those two models do conflict sometimes and well we just finished listening to your podcast with eric and one of the things he said and you guys said a lot of really good stuff but one of the things he said is right most of my guests through airbnb are only going to stay once right and then i'm just off to get the next one and then the next one and the next one and and again that feels like churn and burn to me right and you just look and go and again that's an all right model and it's going to produce money right and it's going to do all those things but really i want to look at it and say I think the vast majority of us believe we, we're building a business that's going to be here and we're going to have a brand name and, and the people are coming back to us. I think that's where the tension exists, but I could be wrong. That's just my personal view. But I, I think some of that can be market dependent too, Scott, even within the world of vacation. So I, I've given this example before, and it's the property managers in Hawaii. They actually have very low repeat booking rates, not because it's not a vacation. It's a very vacation thing to do. You aren't probably traveling to Hawaii for business. and people are, but it's the minority. But you just don't go to Hawaii very often. So especially if you're an East Coaster. I don't know if you've been to Hawaii, Adam, but it might be something you do one or two times in your life. If that, you might go, if you're on the East Coast, you might go to the Bahamas or you might go to, I was just in Aruba a few weeks back, right? Places that are easier to access. So I learned that I had a property.
property manager that I worked with in Hawaii for several years. And the repeat booking rates were sub sub 10%. It was like 8% of people would rebook if we looked at a 24 month window, which was very low. And I, at the time I was like, ah, that's not, it makes our list a little bit less valuable too, because we're not marketing back to a list that actually wants to stay again. Well, they want to stay again, but they're just like, yeah, it took us forever to get out there though. We're not going to you know, likely book again. All the repeats were people who lived in California. They lived in Washington. They lived in Oregon or they lived in BC. That was really the only people worth marketing to again. Contrast that with Heather's market that she was in for a long time. And people live, I assume there maybe a lot of them live in Toronto. They drive up. It's two, three hours away. You could, I, I imagine you probably had a 20, 30, 40% repeat booking rate if you looked over a 24 month window. Six. So that can be, okay, that's way better than that. That's way, that's well above average. That's fantastic, right? So that's part of the piece, I think a little bit too, I would argue, Scott, is like, what type of experience are you going to give the person, give the guest to where they want to book with you again? And then they don't look at other alternatives. Because I think with Vacasa, I'm sure they want to get people to repeat book. I don't think that they don't want a repeat booking to happen. But I guess the question is, have they set up their business to deliver so far above and beyond what the guest expects that that is occurring at a regular basis? We don't know because we're not inside their numbers, but I would suspect they probably don't get as high of a repeat booking rate as they could if they focused on it. But they just see it as there's a sea of opportunity out there and we're just grabbing our pieces there. So that's my frame on it at least. Mm. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. But I also think there is value in the discussion. So I don't think this is just semantics. I think there's value from a, a search perspective, like we just talked about, right? People are going online and they're searching for something. So we've got to help them define what it is that they're searching for. As an industry, I agree with you, Will, that we're not going to change consumer behaviors, but we can help guide them. And we can also not be set in the ways of today and think that that's going to be the way of the future endlessly, right? Just because Airbnb is popular today doesn't mean that Airbnb is going to be popular forever. doesn't mean that every consumer is going to call it Airbnb forever. It just means that that's the habit that's been built over the last five years, let's say, right? Heather talked about Verbo. Verbo was the Airbnb before Airbnb disrupted Verbo. So it's the same concept. I think that this can change over time and evolve over time. The reason why I think there's value in it goes back to the expectations on the guest side. So we just described how there's a huge value in hospitality. And I think that everyone can see that value. And I, I'm very happy to see the, the industry driving towards that value. But there is a significant difference between service and hospitality. Again, touching on the, the Eric discussion that you just had, Will, you guys mentioned, you mentioned on this one, and then you and Eric talked about it in our previous discussion, that round table that you had where it got a little heated. Eric talked about how his view evolved since that discussion. And he evolved from what he termed as an Airbnb -er or an STR into a vacation rental company, into a hospitality entrepreneur. Those are two different concepts. And I think that when we start to discuss that, to Scott's point about churn and burn, Eric's point in that discussion about hands-off, the goal of being exceptionally hands-off is antagonistic to the vacation rental hospitality perspective. Now, I don't say that in a way that, hey, you couldn't evolve. Eric clearly evolved. But if the mentality is that, I'm going to build this business to be hands-off and be transactional and try to push as many people through this unit as possible. I'm not making a judgment about that model, but that model is different than vacation rentals. And I don't think that as an industry, we should call those two models the same thing and have the same expectations from a homeowner, from an investor perspective, from a guest perspective, from a business model perspective. I'm going to build my business completely different when I have those ends in, in mind. From a hospitality perspective, I'm going to build it with a lot of touch points with a deep team that can go out and build those relationships. I'm going to focus on my guest list. I'm not going to focus on that initial acquisition. I'm going to focus on how do I build that relationship over time and how do I get to know them better? That's a different model 
than what that churn and burn Airbnb, put it up, get as many people through the doors as possible. In my mind, that's a different concept. You gave the example earlier, Will, on Front Desk. I'm not too familiar with that company, so I can't speak to it too much. But I was thinking Sonder. Maybe you could speak on that, Will. What do you see the value of Sonder versus Vacasa? Because you could argue that Sonder is the maximized public market version of what you know you were describing a minute ago, I would say, where it's like we manage urban units, you take a multifamily building and we convert it into short-term rentals. It's kind of hotel, but kind of, it's like, there's like a lot of you know, gray area there, but that's the Sonder model. And the Vacasa model, I think, Scott, you've spoken about your disdain for it in some respect, but it's more similar to what the, the traditional vacation manager is doing in terms of we manage in these resort markets, et cetera. So maybe that's... I don't know, a better example, Will, I don't know what your perspective is on that, Sonder versus Picasa even, as like public market comparisons. From a public market comparison, this is something I've, I don't know, thought about, but not too much because I don't think there are examples that any of us want to look at as what is leading our industry in the sense of name or title. No, no shade towards those companies. I know from an entrepreneurial standpoint, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that have gotten them to that point. And it's not easy. It's not easy to become a public traded company, even if they're not trading at the highest value right now and have had to split stock and do all this other stuff. But I just, we had on our Good Morning Hospitality podcast, we had Chip Rogers, who's the president and CEO of the American Hotel Lodging Association. And he mentioned that short-term rentals need to play the same field as hotels. And he brought up Sonder as an example. And I think if we're going to go that route, it's only because of the regulatory standpoint. Granted, as you're seeing all these things happening in, in New York and all these other major cities that are more urban operated property management or vacation or short-term rental management companies. But I don't think Sonder is the example that we should be looking at because of that's when you open up that can of worms of that hotel conversation where it comes to being taxed like a hotel. Again, they have pretty similar tech stacks, different stuff under the hood isn't too much different. But again, maybe just not the example that as an industry, we want to point and be like, look at what we are represented by. I think there's way better examples. And so going back to what Adam was saying, I think the hospitality brand is the shift that we all need to make moving mountains and looking at the, even the Costco franchise model and looking at all these other companies that are creating a brand focus that obviously that's hard because you have to manage now there's hospitality. And I've had many conversations with Seth and Tori Bolt from Bolt Farm Treehouse, which was featured on Netflix. And they're creating a hospitality brand, but they're also trying to outthink the way that hospitality has been consumed by the, the guests and other things like that in the hotel world and the short-term rental world. So I don't know, the hospitality brand piece for me is the more exciting piece because that's where you have that beautiful, hey, we're hospitality. It's not service because we add color and we add moments we add that but you still have to be a business right you still have to be profitable you still have to treat your team well. you still have to pay fair wages you still have to have good linen good property upkeep maintenance all the stuff so it's a hard balance but i think shifting towards that hospitality brand sector or titling or naming is probably better for as we're especially with 2024 i think it's going to become pretty pretty incredible to watch the shift but that's just my, my perspective i would love it any thoughts? I wonder, Will, if the person who manages a property like the Treehouse Properties or who manages these really uniquely built ones, like I know Isaac from Live Oak Lake, I've talked to him before, and he markets his property. I think he just sold it, actually, if I saw that correctly. But uh, he talks about his stuff. And I feel like he wouldn't want to be compared to a vacation rental manager who has 
10 of the same three bedroom homes in a resort community. It's like each home is clean. It's, it's nice. It, it's probably offered at a great value for your money in terms of the number of people that can sleep there. But he might say, no, what I've done is actually far above and beyond what even a typical either great host or a great property manager would do because I've designed something unique and experiential. It's not just a track home in a resort community. And that's we have a lot of clients that have that type of inventory. So I see where he's coming from. And the problem with that type of inventory, even if it is in like a traditional vacation rental market, is that it doesn't always stand out from the crowd. So as the market goes, that property goes, right? It has no pricing power. It's just you're one of 55 other three-bedroom homes in that community. If yours is a little bit nicer, has a few more amenities, you might be able to hold the rates a little bit longer. But you're, I call it like you're a dead fish in the tide, right? Like the tide's going in, you're going to go in. If the tide's going out, you're going to go out. You don't really have any power. Whereas people that build these more unique experiences, to your point from a second ago, I feel like they're almost in a different category because they can like, they're like, I have a limited amount of space. I have something that's really unique. There really is no comps. There's no point in putting properties like that into a pricing tool because when you go and look in the market that they might be in, there's no other properties that are similar in terms of design or aesthetics or anything like that. And then they've almost separated themselves further in some respects with what they're doing from like a design and property standpoint. So that's a whole nother, not to throw a monkey wrench yeah. in the middle of everything here, but that's a whole nother thing, which is like the property itself, I think has a lot to do with how the guest perceives it and their desire to actually vacation or stay in a place for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot there too. Well, I, I, I want to, and not to shout out to Robin Cragen, because he's one of my favorite examples, but like they're not a unique stay type of vacation rental management company, but they do have a unique experience within every home. And so I think whether you're out in the woods and you have tree farm, tree houses and mirrored cabins and domes versus luxury, ultimate high houses that are 10,000 square feet or whatever, that still to me is it's providing hospitality it's just giving a different taste to the traveler so i may not want to go to steamboat and be around a bunch of ski and snowboarding bums and people walking around town and doing all this stuff i might want to go actually rest and unplug and do that stuff i'm still getting experience so i think that hospitality brand piece still comes into play because even though they're different we're still part of hospitality. And that's, I think, where coming from the hotel world, and initially when I discovered short-term rentals through Airbnb, through my parents, that was kind of, oh, this is my way of solving my problem of having a horrible queue at the front desk and having key cards that deactivate every five minutes and all this other stuff. But it's a, still an awesome way to provide hospitality by creating a, a space that's used for moments, used for that type of experience. So I don't know, maybe there's some kind of connecting dot it's just rather the, the turn and burn as scott said or the the old days of the arbitragers who wanted to just get as many units as possible get as much cash flow and i did want to say like there's nothing wrong thankfully we're in a, we're an amazing country called america where you have the right to create what you want as long as it's legal right they're not selling drugs and then that's uh, you're pretty doing pretty good so i think you have the right to create that lifestyle business but I think we just want to make sure as an industry, we're not accepting that as a standard, right? I think it's more less of a naming discussion. And as we all have mentioned, more of a standard discussion and what's the barrier to entry. Well, maybe Scott, uh, I'll play host for a second and pass it your way. Cause I feel like that's, isn't that part of like, the problem that maybe, or the concern that you have with Vacasa is that imagine someone tries vacation rentals for the first time, they go and stay in a Vacasa unit and they get bad service or they feel like they overpaid or whatever. And then they're turned off by the industry. They're not going to come back and maybe stay in the future with, with another property manager. Cause they think, oh, all these people are, they rip us off. They don't give good value. That sort of thing. Isn't that part of the problem why we should have hopefully better standards. So those problems don't occur in the first place. Yeah, and I see it on both on the guest side and the owner side, right? I think some of these churn and burn people, right? Vacasa being the biggest one. And even as we're going now through the owner 
process and, and signing up new units, right? These owners are so jaded from that, that model, right? I can never get a hold of anyone. Are you sure you're really different? Right. Here's and then like it's they've all seemingly got their own ring doorbell now, so they can watch their house to make sure that the guests aren't trashing it. Right. It's like they the owners have now tried to kind of compensate for the failures. And then like you sit them down, they're like, okay, here's what I expect. I need everyone to look at my ring camera the day they check in. I need to know that it's only them. I need to check their cars. And it's just like, wow, all this because no one manage their rental it was just it was left their asset was left unmanaged and i think it's the same on the guest side conrad it's Picasso looks at it airbnb looks at it is there's plenty more behind them right it just doesn't matter we're going to just keep, keep the isn't. marketing machine going yeah, yeah. till there isn't and yeah. people go and that, that's the viral backlash uh, i don't know if you're active on twitter i know heather i know sometimes you're on twitter <clears throat> but it's like you'll see people very you know adamant that they're never gonna book through airbnb again that they had some negative experience they got charged a cleaning fee they got a big chore list whatever and they'll they're adamant that like i'll never stay in a short term they'll say airbnb i'll never stay in an airbnb again they'll only ever stay in a hotel and it's like one night that experience can cut them off. And I think you're right to some degree, Scott, there's people behind them until there isn't. And then it's like, oh, where did everybody go? You know, like some markets that's already happened a little bit. Honestly, I think that's part of this core discussion is scale. It's wondering, trying to discern in this industry that is probably 30 plus years of really being trying to be professional. I'd say it's in the process of still professionalizing, but trying to determine how do we scale and can we operate at scale? And we don't have anyone that's demonstrated that we can do this at scale. So we've got a lot of guests that have come in and are interested in this space over the last, say, five years since COVID, since Airbnb. And Airbnb's only way to continue to grow and build that revenue is to add more properties. So they're going to lower their standards in order to bring more people in to provide the scale because the guests are ready to, to book. But as a result, we're going to continue to reduce the standards. So the question starts to become, what is the scale where this is sustainable? When are we able to provide the level of hospitality and guest experience that, that we truly want to as great hospitality brands versus when does it start to break? And we've seen this time and again. We saw it with Resort Quest. We're seeing it with Vacasa. Scale is a problem when you start to manage vacation rentals. And my like... My layman's view of that, Adam, is that the best way to have scale is to have the hotel model, right? Or like in the Sonder model where it's like, okay, we're going to do scale by having 150 of the same exact unit. That's the same dishwasher in every single one of them. It has the same the electrical system is the same. We pay all the utilities through one company, but then it loses what is somewhat appealing sometimes about the vacation rental itself, right? Like it's a unique home. You go there. It's more private. You have more space, like a family, three kids. I want four bedrooms, right? Like those things, the things that make it appealing when you apply the scale business logic to it, make it unappealing. It's like, oh, okay, it's just like a drab big hotel room. Like that's not really what I'm after. So then it goes back to the fragmentation. I'd rather book with professional host John Doe over here who does a good job and has a single home or maybe has two homes or something like that. And then you get, you go back to getting a better experience. And we've done the restaurant analogy too on our, on our show that we've done together where it's like there's McDonald's and you know what you're getting and it is scale and that's food. Like if you need food, sometimes that works for you, but no one ever like, looks forward to it, right? Like I want to spend a lot of money on it. Like you go to the small local restaurant that really takes care of people where you can meet the owner and talk to them and provide that experience. And we probably would all rather eat at our local favorite restaurant if it was easy and access for us to do than go eat at McDonald's every day, given the choice of those two things. And that's how that model is, right? So if that's from a guest expectations, and I'll use Darm going to Nashville as the example, right? For me, going into Nashville, I didn't really care where I was staying. Didn't really want to stay at the hotel. Let's find a short-term rental, Airbnb, whatever we want to call it. 
that's an easy one in and out in two days. Don't really care what my guest experience is like, but how do I, as the traveler know that's the experience that I'm going to get versus someone who's going to go all out on hospitality when I get there? Is that just a surprise for me? Or is there a way for us to understand that as consumers, as guests? I think we're, we're missing out on some of the hospitality issues here. I, my big area that I think most people are missing is nothing to do with the property itself or the hospitality when you get there. It's what happens between booking and the stay. I've stayed with three, the last three or four occasions I have stayed anywhere. I have had zero communication between booking the place and staying at it. But that's such a massive hospitality opportunity. I went to Barcelona in May to the scale conference and I dropped so many breadcrumbs in my email to the property management company. I said, I am a woman traveling on her own. I've not been to Barcelona before and I'm going to a conference. That is gold. That would be gold to somebody who wants to deliver hospitality. They could have provided me so much, which didn't, which could have been automated by segmentation. And they didn't, there was nothing. So I end, I end up dragging my bag from the Playa de, de España 15 or 20 minutes down a road to this, finally finding this tiny little alleyway in this property and being so thankful I wasn't there at night. And then finding my way in and feeling that they could have done so much more for me. I didn't want, I didn't want to be escorted, but I would have liked to have had some information. They also knew I was going to a short-term rental conference. I'll rest my case on that one. <laughs> but I think, yeah. I think what I'm trying to say is that uh, we were trying to distinguish, you know, what we are, but basically we're all doing the same thing. We are, I, on that occasion, I was a business traveler. On another occasion, on that same trip, I was a vacation, you know, I went to vacation rentals because I was a vacationer, but I was the same person all the way along, just with different expectations from different places. How do we know the difference between those managers, right? How would you as the guest know, I'm going to select this manager because I know I'm going to get a great hospitality experience versus this manager who's never going to email me during my booking process? How do we know that? Yeah, sadly, all these, all these and I, I went to Miami back last, last year for another scale conference and stayed with another property manager that also disappointed big time, not just that, that was in the lead up. It was also in the stay and it was also in the follow up. And that was a recommendation and, and a recommendation by somebody who's big in this business. So great question, Adam. <laughs> yeah. how, how do you find them? I think you find them in the branding, don't you? I look at Laura Madewell and Auntie Bellum's cabins. If I was going to go to, uh, to the Smokies and I came across Auntie Bellum's cabins, I would want to stay there because there is warmth that exudes from their website. You, In my notes, littered through my notes, Will, is Robin Craig. <laughs> because everything yeah. in the About Us page on his website, it's pictures of him and his family and you feel like you're going to be welcomed. So it's yeah. in there. Once you get in there, there is that feeling that they are immersed in hospitality. Like also you got the, sorry to cut you off, Conrad, the, like the Cassiolas too. I think of like Cassiola, they're a great example of that. And 
the part of me is hard because we have this high expectation of Robin Craig and Cassiola and Casagos and there's a bunch of people that we all know and love that do provide such a high standard and such a great example. But then we also have to remember, we all started somewhere. We all were that one single property host. We were all that one single property this, or maybe you started with five based on one owner, or like whatever it is, but we all started very small. And so backtracking to Conrad's earlier point of, of scale, I don't like there's scale and then there's blitz scale, which is Sonder. Sonder did the WeWork model where they just paid a hundred dollars more per square foot because they wanted to get into the door not sustainable but then you have like robin craig and again sorry robin for all the shout outs not sorry <laughs> you're you're getting all the love here today 25 years of scaling and that cut that scale from their business perspective of 25 years that one point they were at 300 homes they've now i think they're around 200 ish but that's because they get rid of properties and they recycle and they refresh and they make sure that their inventory and is not just great inventory but something that they're able to service and i think scale is subjective depending on how like robin doesn't want to have a thousand properties all over colorado i think he wants to have 350 or 400 in those two or three or I think it's three or four markets that are really great and they get filled and they produce good revenue, but they're also able to serve. So it's a very different part. So it's like, it's, I think time, you've been having this conversation, Heather, for what, 20 years, 25 years, like there, there needs to be time for a lot of these brands and these new, newer operators and entrepreneurs to, I think, realize, like, Hey, the linen that my mom had on that 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 bed wasn't probably the best linen to keep. And now my listing looks weird and I'm trying to figure out, oh yeah, Airbnb doesn't really care about me. They're just trying to get me to lower my rates so they get more bookings. This is, it, I think it just takes a lot of time and learning. So there's a lot of things. And you mentioned, Heather, you're human, whether you're staying for a scale rentals conference in Barcelona or on vacation the next week. That's the consistency. We're human and we're trying to figure what does this really look like for our lives, for our guests' lives, our team's lives, the, the community that we're in, the five of us on this podcast right now. That's, yeah, the hospitality piece coming back into a close of my thought. That's, I think, yeah, the more important aspect. But I don't, I don't know if anybody came across this. There's a, there was a young guy at uh, Verma. And his name was James. And I think that's all I remember. I can't. I know his last name is, is around there somewhere up here. He was 23. He had five properties on his portfolio and he was aiming to get to 30 by the end of next year. And he was sucking up everything. He was talking to everybody and he was talking to us. He was talking to myself and Richard Vorton and he was talking to the old guard as well as sucking up information from everybody who was there who was who hadn't been in the industry as long that to me is the future and i don't know what you you'd call him i wouldn't call him a property manager i'm not sure i'd call him a vacation rental manager he wanted to be the best hospitality provider on the planet yeah it, it it's it's funny and, and i'll i'll take that at it because i if you think about who we've talked about think about all the names lauren madewell Robin Cree, Cassiola, Casago, they all start with real clarity on who they are. That's their biggest thing, right? If you look at all of them, they know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they want to be. And, and I think that's their basis. I had an interaction with Robin. He and I have actually had two. One was funny. One, I was I reached out to him with an investor. A couple, This investor had a couple million dollars and wanted to buy out there. And I reached out to him and said, here they are. They're looking for a 10% return. They're open. Here, here it is. 
and Robin, unlike anyone else that I think that we we all work with, said, hey, 10% in this market is going to be really rough with this real estate market. It's just not here. I'd love to have them, but I don't want to let them down. Done, right? And again, you look at that and go, you turn that around. And in most cases, people are going, oh, yeah, I'll make that happen. Here you go. Spend your money. That clarity that these people have. Lauren Madewell, I'm going out to stay at one of the treehouse, the sanctuary treehouse out there. And we're actually going to stay over in one of Lauren's properties as well, just because, right? Just because I've watched her in the bear suit and right and all that stuff. I just think it's incredible, right? And I want to go experience what they have to offer. But again, I don't even know what unit we're staying in. Like we haven't even picked a property. I just want to go stay there because of the experience. I was the only thing I was going to ask a few minutes ago, Heather, you were talking about the looking to arrival window. And I don't know, because I don't have a lot of experience. I don't know if you do is like, I'm not staying at really high end hotels, but I've stayed at hotels that were certainly like a four, maybe five star level quality. And to be fair, I don't know if I've gotten that experience either from them. And it might be fair to argue and say the Four Seasons hasn't figured out hospitality. Once you're in the property, you get treated incredibly well and they remember everything. I did notice that about Four Seasons. If you say that you like this, then like somehow the next time you get up to your room, there'll be my Coke Zero will be sitting in the fridge, right? If you stay at a high end hotel or resort like that. So they they do a lot of things in the property, but I don't know if I've experienced it just because I don't have a lot of stays under my belt to say what happens if I were to book now for the four seasons for my birthday in June, what would happen between today and June that they would do to welcome me that I don't know. I don't know if you have any other examples from the hotel or resort space. Touch Day did a, an interesting survey recently and looking at guest experience and what guests, uh, what guests were looking for. And one of the, what I thought was a, a, not a most surprising result, but one of the outcomes was that guests are looking for between three and five communications from the host between the booking and the stay. And most get between one and two. They are out there looking for, for something a little bit more. And I think it's particularly when you're talking about vacations, people are planning and, and they want more information to help them plan. I mean, there's nothing worse than getting on, to, on on a vacation and finding you want to go snorkeling or you want to go whale watching and you should have booked three weeks ago. And you've just gone to this destination where you've got the bucket list thing of, of whale watching and you can't get on a boat. I would have liked to have known before I went. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that as an industry, as much as we talk about hospitality and some of the players that are doing a decent job at it, I think even those players would say there's still so much room to improve. We are we are just scratching the surface on what hospitality is. Now, uh, what I'll do is is maybe go back to your point, Will, and say from a scaling perspective, I, I get it. I understand that we all started somewhere, and someone who's got a, a small number of properties can still offer a fantastic experience. And you've got the James that that Heather mentioned at Verma. But what I would suggest is that as an industry, we should also protect ourselves. So if what we do is allow Airbnb to lower the standards and continue to allow people to have very low barrier of entry, then we're going to continue to get a large group of people that are not experienced at the level of care, the level of hospitality that we aspire to. And you could name any number of industries, right? You can't go out and be a masseuse unless you get some sort of certification to open that business. But anyone can go out and open up an Airbnb and Airbnb will actively encourage you and tell you how to do it and get you going. That is not a great recipe for fantastic hospitality within short-term rental, vacation rental, cottage rental, whatever we want to call it. That is not the recipe that gets us to the place that we want to be. And I'd actually argue 
that the place that we're talking about, the, the fantastic hospitality that everyone on this call agrees that we're all working towards, Airbnb is actively undermining all of our activity when they build the model that they're building. They're inflating real estate. They're lowering the barrier of entry to the hosts and the managers. They're asking people to lower their rates. Will, you mentioned this as well. Their goal at the end of the day is to their shareholders, not to this industry, not to the hosts. They are actively looking to support the guests. So as much as I recognize I want to support the little guy who's willing to learn, what I would also suggest is we need to find the James who's out there soaking up every bit of information that they can get to be the best manager, whatever we want to call it, that they can be and not continue to push people into sharing their bedrooms and building a, an Airbnb portfolio by renting out other people's properties. And I think we're going to see that die out relatively quickly. But again, when we do that, we're almost pushing Airbnb into a corner and they're going to have to lash out and try to figure out how do I get more people? Their shareholders aren't going to allow their revenue and their stock price to continue to drop. So we are at odds with this industry. I think that as much as it'd be nice to say, hey, everybody's welcome, kumbaya, we all love everybody. That's just not the reality of where we are in this industry right now. And I think as managers, as people who have been in this industry, building it and supporting it for a very long time, we should protect it. And I don't see enough. I think we're trying to make everybody happy versus protecting what we've built and what we continue to build over long periods of time. Adam, can I ask? Because then I, I agree. There's 100%. And you bring up a good point. So if the the massage that my mom's a massage therapist, she had to go through schooling. I remember those days as a kid, she had to be, she had to go through school. And I was always like, what the heck is my mom doing going to school? But like, that is a standard that was needed in order for her to now work on people's bodies. So if there needs to be some kind of certification or organization for people to come into this industry and operate, whether it's on Airbnb or as a independent brand, a hospitality brand, I will say organizations like VRMA and the loud people that support VRMA and on push advocacy and donating your money there and really being that, that that's not an organization I think even that can set that standard for us in order to create some certification or anything like that. There's there needs if there is going to be some barrier or level of entry that needs to be higher, it's not going to be through them and it's not going to be through the really loud people that support that and push the false narrative that the only way to be involved in a professional standpoint is to have advocacy dollars backing it, which of course I do agree there is advocacy in multiple ways, shapes and forms. But the question comes into then how do we all unify to create that certification or that organization that does allow the hospitality brands and entrepreneurs that want to come in the Jameses, the James to Robin Cragen, right? Like we want, if we want that transition, if we want that shift, then I wouldn't say we have anything in place that really shows any type of consistency or standardization from an organization level or from an industry level in, in general. This is what, uh, this is what we've been looking for the last year to 18 months in our business is one of our goals is to curate the best education in this industry. It's a tough job because there is so little out there by way of education, unless you want to earn a million Airbnb in six months and not lift a finger <laughs> and pay two thousand dollars for it. <laughs> but uh, it's like but 15, there are... 20 grand, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but there are there are people out there that are 
training, they are teaching, they're consulting, they're coaching that are really good. If we could find some way of pulling these people together and creating some form of cohesive education program that people could go into, they could drop in and out of as necessary, or perhaps do the in, in, an entire, almost degree courses in this business. I think that is going a long way to unite where we are now is with this great chasm that's come, we've come upon with the, the call us old timers, but we've got a lot of experience. And on the other side is those people that are coming up like James, who want to bring all the up-to-date technology and modernism into the business, but they need that, uh, that knowledge to do so. Does that make sense? Yeah. How do we create the Cornell? We've got to create the Cornell. Of that's what we're trying. That's rentals. what we would like. That's what we would like to do. I've been researching Cornell and, and looking at uh, methods of getting certification and some form of cohesiveness in the education that's out there. I, I think it's a desperate need. And I think that's part of the frustration with Burma, right? I think people have frustrations, a lot of different frustrations with Burma, but I think that's what everyone is eager to get back to. I'm talking to Amy Highnote, Right, and even Adam, and they both said have said it over and over, right? Is they remember the Verma days where they went and took a bunch of notes and came back and did things with them, right? I, we were all at Verma. I don't think any of us took notes, right? Not to the level of, of they were back when things were were pivoting. They were all learning, right? What do they have to do with web? How is SEO work? All that stuff, and it seems like that's been conquered, right? Which is the opposite. And but then it's just this nowhere track. So I agree, Heather, and I, I think it's a I think it's a desperate need, and I think it's a desperate want. I I think people want to do better. I think everyone's looking to say, man, if I could only do this or figure out how to do this, and I think they're looking. But where where do you look, right? I mean, who do you look to say, hey, right, I'll do this. When I'm struggling, I'll go look at everyone we talked about here, right? I'll look at a problem and go, all right, let me go look at how Robin's handling this, or let me go look at what Lauren's doing. But right, it's a small list, and James will never find those people until he's in and bumped his head and his yeah. wrist and his arm and right and everything else, and then he'll be beaten and battered and go, "Oh, I made it! I found Robin Craigan now. Here we go." <laughs> it's it's interesting well, because as we end this conversation, I guess we're going right back to where we started. It's <laughs> when I got into the business back in 1997, 1998. There was nothing out there to teach me how to do it, and I had to learn all by myself. It's really no different now. I go to a lot of these STR conferences, right? Whether it's STR Wealth or Level Up Your Listing Now or these other ones outside of the VRMA and traditional old guard, as you called it, Heather. And a lot of them, they don't know what VRMA is. They're like, I've heard about Airbnb. I'm making money off my property. I'm also able to offer hospitality. I don't want to in, uh, decrease my profitability by adding this tech stack thing that kind of is confusing and overdone or maybe a little old. And then you have like, this whole piece that all of us are a part of, which is a great medium called podcasting. And they're here and I'm guilty of this. Obviously we have a network. Now they're all listening to these podcasters and people that have done it through Airbnb as a starting point to then even getting to a hotel 
or a certain portfolio size with a brand and operations and in destination marketing. So it's hard because it's so scattered and they don't know where VRMA is. They don't know about it and they get to it and they feel like they're getting shit on. Excuse my language for anyone that doesn't like cursing on podcasts. But then they go to the RMA and they hear all these people say, like, oh, you're just an Airbnb host. Well, you're the reason why we're going through all this, blah, 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 blah. And then they were like, oh, I don't want to go back to that. That sucked. I felt crappy afterwards and vice versa then you go to those conferences and you hear about the wealth side right you can make money and grow a portfolio and create a legendary legacy for your family and blah blah blah. and they the hospitality side of the business gets turned off by that it's like obviously we're in it to make money we're not trying to do a charity here or a non-profit organization but there's a an extreme on each end and i think we're trying to from i think from all of us all five of us on this call are trying to quiet down the extremes on each side and come down to the middle of being like, okay, there's actually something here that's more important. That's the hospitality, the whole piece. And as Heather, as you just said, back where we started this whole thing 55 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what I, you said I, it. I do think that there's right. value in, in just having the discussion and having a narrative. So here's, as we close this out, here's where my perspective is. I'm a believer in the market, right? Will, you said this earlier, right? We're not gonna, we're not gonna change the consumer and the consumer behavior. That sort of happens by trends over time. But what I am a believer in is the narrative that you feed into that market to help change those trends over time. So that's one of the reasons why I'm relatively vocal about this discussion. I'm also relatively vocal about Airbnb because I believe their model and what they're going after is at odds with the hospitality model that we've been discussing. I think that there are, are two totally different opposing views of how they want to approach this short-term rental vacation rental industry. And I think that it's important for people that are in this industry to be vocal about what their view is and what their direction is, because Airbnb is not being vocal about it. They are not coming to Verma. They are not engaging with professional managers. They are only focused on that host side. So if the professional managers are not vocal and not sharing their perspective about Airbnb, then I think we allow Airbnb to create that narrative. So my perspective is in the end, the market will win. And what I'm starting to see in, in your discussion today with Eric was refreshing because I think Eric's at the front end of this. I think that what we're going to find is those people that got in and Eric was this arbitrage person that he was trying to grow into thousands of properties across the world. I think what they're going to find is that hospitality and getting into hospitality and building a brand and getting people to go direct to those brands is where the future of this industry is. So while I can understand the people in those other shows that you mentioned, Will, not necessarily wanting to go to Verma and it's a new place. I think the thing that they haven't understood yet is the, the cost of acquisition for those clients. They don't understand the marketing costs that are going to be associated with building a brand and how long it takes to build that brand. So as their revenue declines, as their reservations decline, because they've been dependent on that one brand, now they're going to have to go wherever that brand tells them to go, or they're going to be way behind the curve trying to build the brand too late. Yeah. I can I see it. I could. Yeah. So it's uh, Scott. I do you have any closing thoughts? I'm curious here. You uh, want to make sure everyone gets a shared voice here, but I also don't want us to run over time, but do you have any closing thoughts as well? Yeah, no, I think all of it. Right. And I think if, if, if I were honestly reflecting, I, I think I go back to where Heather took us. Right. And it's, there's gotta be training, right? We, th this assumption that you're either on board and you're us or you're not. I think, and I, and I reflected while we we're talking about what Heather was saying about James, right? Is why don't we turn and assume that everyone is James until they show us that they're not James, right? Like every, these, everyone wants to win and everyone wants to do better. 
So let's pour in and listen, if they decide, Hey, I'm just going this way, then we can look and go and you're over there, but let's assume that everyone has changed, right. And that everyone wants to get better and, and lift our whole industry. Yeah. I love it. How do you close out five different podcasts at the same time? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Good uh, leave us a review subscribe rate and review that's always what i like so <laughs> beg for reviews that's, oh, gonna, that's always how yeah we're gonna we're gonna leave a link in the show notes so make sure you like and subscribe to five different podcasts all at once if you haven't done so already and make sure like always you tune in again next week just kidding but no thanks guys for go. doing this it's been so much fun great to finally do a crossover and i really appreciate the conversation and insights whether we see eye to eye or not i think this is a refreshing way to to get the industry hopefully more band together so i i support the unitization here there we go words <laughs> nice. are hard <laughs> it was a great discussion thanks everyone awesome. yes thanks, conrad here just jetting in again before you get going again we didn't do a typical outro because of the way this was recorded so if you appreciate the episode we certainly thank you for listening to the conversation leave us a podcast app leave us a review excuse me in your podcast app of choice and we would greatly appreciate that and let us know what you think of this kind of episode maybe we'll do more crossover episodes with other podcasters in our space again down the road so thanks so much for listening we appreciate you and we'll catch you on the next episode of art of hospitality